0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class.
1: Hello, whatever time it is, if you are listening to this on the Temple Beth Am podcast, Chag Ishuchag and Chag Shushan Purim Sameh. Is it really
2: Ishuchag?
1: No, it's not Ishuchag. But what is Isrukhag? So Isrukhag is where we want it to be. It's when you. Um, uh, we want to wish an early mazel Tov to Renee, who very soon will be getting on a plane to go to Mexico, where Liat uh-huh. will become uh, married, assuming I'm able to get there as well. Otherwise, she'll have to just
0: remain. Blee nether, blee
1: nether, blee nether. But Tov, Renee, on this one. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Looking forward to it.
1: Okay, uh, depending on how quick we go today, ha-ha, um, <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna be hitting a stretch of five of a rare five verses where Rashi's quiet, and so I have um, once we get there on each of those verses, there's at least one medieval commentary that I'm gonna break something for because they're interesting verses and Rashi. I don't know he went he he went he went to bed or something like that. Um, what is Shabina saying? Uh, I'm quite, can, can you all hear me on Zoom well? I mean, uh, Bina's saying that she's having a hard time hearing me. Others are loud. It's perfect. It's perfect. You're okay. And should I do the whole thing in a brogue? Yes. <laughs> yes, scalawag. Okay. Um, you should
4: do this wedding. Service. No, you
1: have to do with Hispanic <laughs> accents. Oh, I should do the wedding service as. Sean. Yes, as Hispanic as accent doing Sean Connery. OK. <laughs>
5: yeah.
1: OK, it still feels like forum here. Uh, so I have us having. Um, Are there any famous <laughs> rabbis
6: from Scotland? Are there any Scottish Jewish rabbis?
1: Uh. I mean, I would think that all of the Scottish rabbis are Jewish, so I think that adjective. <laughs> <mean.
6: laughs> yeah. Is there one any commentary from Scotland? No.
1: Apparently, the defense minister under uh, uh, Ma- Margaret Thatcher was Malcolm Rifkind, a Scottish Jew. Okay. Yalla. We read verse 2, but not the Rashi on verse 2. So let's, we're in chapter 7, verse 2 of the book of Shmot. Let me read the verse again to get us going. Uh, atat daber, or depending on how you lay it out, atat uh, es et kol sher atzaveka, viharon achicha yidaber al paro, vishilach, venezuel miyarzo. So, so yeah, we read this You, Moses, will speak that which, or all that which I command you, and Aaron, your brother, will speak to Pharaoh, and a a similar um, um, ambiguity in terms of the syntax of the next phrase, similar to what we had a few verses ago, something like, and then he will dispatch the children of Israel from his land, or so that. It's hard to know what the the implied connective tissue is between the speaking and Pharaoh's action, but that's the basic meaning of the verse. You're going to speak, and Aaron's going to speak. So um, Rashi picks up on. Um, Well, I, I won't give it away. Let's see what Rashi picks up on. So we're reading Ata Tidaber. Um, uh, Alan, do you want to read? Sure.
7: Um, Tidaber, Parmachad Kol Shlichut, Ushlichut Kefi Sheshamato Mipi, v'aron Achicha Yam Litzenu, Yam Litzenu, VeYit. Imanu beoznei Pharaoh.
1: OK, so uh, we're going to translate Rashi, and then we're going to do that backwards game, the uh, G- Rashi Jeopardy. What's the question that Rashi is answering? OK. Shir, do you have space? OK.
7: So uh, you will speak to Pharaoh one time, Kohashlichut, uh everything that I sent or that I said to you, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the the message, the the way that that came from my mouth.
1: Yeah. What what do you think Rashi means by the Hebrew phrase kol shli How would you render that in sort of colloquial English? Each and every. Right. So so you're, you you most are going to speak once, and when you speak, you're gonna you're gonna kind of um, mention in advance each and every. I'm adding here upcoming moment of of being a shaliach, each of the things that are going to happen, every single one.
4: It's kind of like the doubling of a verse, of a verb. Say that again? It's kind of like doubling of a verb, like where it's truly,
1: really strong. Right. I think this here, it's less a truly as a, in terms of emphasis, it's more a, wait, how come you're not seeing the screen? Hector? We get the I don't know why my screen isn't showing on the back here. It is plugged in. One second, everyone. Today is the day of technical challenges. Thank you. All right, well Hector's trying to fix that. Um, th- this is a, a kind of a medieval Hebrew way of saying every single one. So you, Moshe, do have a speaking role and you're going to kind of announce or pronounce or anticipate all the upcoming shlichut that's going to happen and kefisha P. mm which means?
7: Uh, it's everything that, I, everything that you heard from my mouth. Right, okay. achicha and your brother Aaron Yarmlitzu uh, will like um, like, fill in the detail, fill, fill it in in uh, the Amlets. We'll, we'll, we'll complete the thoughts or something yeah, like that.
1: We looked at the, a, a word last week where uh, a biblical word, Melitz. Remember the context? Who, who, where did we find the Melitz in the Torah? Joseph. In the Joseph story, when Yosef is being met by the brothers. They, there was meleitz benotam. There was an interpreter between them. It's another biblical word of the interpreter. The the Bible did not know the word mitargame. That's a rabbinic Hebrew word.
6: It was a or a right?
1: Depending on the midrash, right? And that's so that y- Yosef could could uh, perpetuate the ruse that he did not understand the brothers, even though he didn't, even though he did. So lahamleitz is to interpret. There's uh-huh. a. There's a is um Israeli educational at least there was an edu- 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 educational nonprofit called Melites. The idea of like in- interpreting and sharing over the text in a way that people understand it. So Aaron is gonna do the expansive work. And how would you translate Yat imenu? What's the root? Yat yeah, Ta'am to, um, to give a taste. To give a taste or a what else does that mean?
5: Palatable. Uh
1: what else Trope. does it's fitting? Matim uh, is with a taf. Reason. Ta'am is also a reason. In, in, in rabbinic Hebrew, to give a ta'am for something is to explain something, right? So it's related to the notion of taste, right? It's to add in texture, add in complexity. So so lehamlitz and lehatim is something like he will um, expand and give the details of or give the rationale for where.
7: The ears of of, of her.
1: Okay, so now so, we know what Rashi said. What Rashi said is Moshe, you're going to speak generally about the upcoming um, shlichut that you're on, and Aaron is going to express the details and all the all uh, the reasons. My question for you is, what in the verse is what's troubling Rashi? What's the problem or the question in the verse sets that this is Rashi's answer?
3: Rick.
6: Um hi. Uh Bina, we're on seven two. She asked me in the chat. Um, well, I I love the yacht sorry this feedback, uh, but um I love the ya yati menu, the 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 ta'am, the, the trope, how in the English here it says your brother shall express it in eloquent language. Uh-huh. Um Translate. in the silver moon. Can you hear me?
1: That's Silverman's translation of the Rashi. Yeah,
6: the, the eloquent language. So, the the trope comes to uh, add meaning to the words. So, uh, whatever Pharaoh hears from Moses, um, Aaron is going to um, uh, expound on that or or, or make it better. Um, if I could also say at this point, the munaf sakiv katon Atata da I'm developing this theory that it, it's an educational, it's a highlighting kind of trope. Wherever it appears, um, the Ten Commandments begins with it. Right, both times, and um, the Kol ha Shofar, the the noise of the shofar, Moshe Yedaber at the Ten Commandments. It's it keeps repeating over and over again. So I, I just love that that it's in the Rashi um explanation for this as well so that's what i wanted to say there
1: and rick while you have the microphone do you have an answer to the question of what the question is that Rashi's answering how about that for chiasm um
6: the question that he's uh um
1: you know what rashi is saying the question is what in the verse needed th- this comment by rashi
6: um, barry and then, uh alan don't know
5: okay Fine. So it, it, it's the circle. <coughs> um, uh, and it, it's my translation. It's
6: I know, I know. I want to guess. I'm sorry, Barry.
5: OK, but Rick, hold on. OK. That, that, that I, I, I commend you and Aaron and then it, it, your your brother will speak to Pharaoh. So it's 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 kind of a, a catch here. So w- what's that all about? Atzavecha uh, 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 meaning to, to, I'm commanding you via uh, haron and then via to daber. So I, I'm commanding you and Aaron, and, and your brother will, will say. And uh, uh, Rosh is trying to straighten that out. Okay, Alan?
7: Yeah, I think you, you've got both times where people are, spe- you have a command speaking. It says, first, I'm going to say, it says, God's saying, you shall speak that I, that I command you. So it's like Pharaoh, it's like Moses will be speaking to Pharaoh. And then it says, and Aaron, your brother shall speak to Pharaoh. So you have both Aaron and Pharaoh speaking to Pharaoh. Why do both people, why do you have it se- say it separately? Why not to say Aaron and Moses spoke to Pharaoh? They have two separate verses, two times it says speak. What's the difference between the two speeches that are being made?
1: So I think if you combine what Alan and Barry said, I think you get close to Rashi's question. Why isn't this just attend to Dabru? Mm-hmm. You will speak to Pharaoh, right? If you're both going, why is this split up? And why does only Moshe get the kol asher right? And so Rashi says is, you each are going to have a speaking role to Pharaoh, but you're going to have different roles. And so they they, they deserve different clauses. You, Moshe, your primary responsibility is, to, is basically to communicate to Pharaoh that you've been in touch with me, God, and that he, Pharaoh should know that all this is coming from God. But you're not an orator, and you're not uh, comfortable in these situations. So Aaron's going to provide the details, not because I spoke to Aaron. I spoke to you, but Aaron is going to flesh out the... the um, the, the, the texture and the eloquence of what I want to communicate.
5: Joel, and then Larry. I think it's also supposed to disabuse us of the idea that Moshe is supposed to go to Aaron and just do a big you know, um, debriefing. This is everything he told me, and then Aaron's going to go to. It's like, no, you say something, Aaron says something. You say something, Aaron says something. uh uh-huh. One that, at
1: a time. Got it. OK, good possibility. Larry? And then I see, Barbara, your hand.
2: So, in answer to the, your question about what Rashi was questioning, I agree with you. Uh, Rashi's question is who's speaking when and to whom? Yeah. And I'm going to clarify it. And he clar- clarifies it by, as you, I think, as you said, you, that you shall speak, um, but it doesn't say to whom. So, even Rashi leaves it a little ambiguous, perhaps.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: So, and I'm hung up on the two vovs in the, in the pasuk, because it seems to me the pasuk is divided into three parts, even though it's divided into two parts by the trope. And the first part is, and, and you, uh, we have a problem here in English in terms of plural and singular use. And what the-, the um, two youths? Yeah, the two you, The two what? <laughs> Anyways, you Moses shall speak Everything that I command to you, Moses, that, that I, Barry, I think that atzavacha that is singular. Correct. So he's, he's commanded to, to Moses only. Then there's a big comma, because you've got the enachtah and you've got the va the, the here. And, and I'm going to say, and then Aaron, your brother, will speak to Pharaoh. And then I think that there's another big comma there. And, and the big comma there is vishilach, we talked, this is not your question now, we That's talked right. about last week. Vishilach et b'nai Yisrael me'artzo. Um, so, and I'm surprised that, that Rashi doesn't address that question either. As to, as to what is the well, connecting we, thread to vishilach? Well we Israel? talked last week is, are we saying that Aaron will say to, 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 to Pharaoh, let, your, let my people go, or that Aaron will speak to Pharaoh, Comma, and he will let the people go. The Israel. Remember we didn't we we had a controversy.
1: Right, and we we and just to pause you but and then we'll go back to you, we also had a similar controversy in verse thirteen where where it, it, it there are several different ways of understanding the relationship between the speaking that Moshe and Aaron are gonna do and Pharaoh's releasing the Israelites from there. Is it is it an anticipation, is it a prediction, is it is it a cause and effect and uh we, didn't, we, didn't, we weren't sure exactly how to understand it there, similar here. Uh, Rashi says something more about it there than he does in this situation. Keep going. Oh, you were done?
2: No, well, we're going to see that it can't be the last one because of what follows the next, in, the ne- in the next verse. But it does seem to me that there's, there are breaks here in the, in the pasuk. Yeah. So my reading contrary to Rashi's would be that God speaks to Moses and then Moses Speaks to his brother, and or he says it to his brother's ear, and then it's Aaron who's speaking to Pharaoh.
1: Ah, so you're saying that Tata at Barrett Kolasherat is not you, Moses, will speak to Pharaoh everything of I man, but you'll speak to Aaron. It's very interesting. So that's a, so, so then maybe that actually strengthens Rashi as saying even more loudly, it doesn't mean that,
2: right? Exactly, that's yeah,
1: what... n- very nice. Thank you, uh, Barbara, and then Diane.
4: Well, I agree with Larry that, that Moses is going to have to talk to Aaron and say it. But I think that this is Rashi's way of saying that, that God is putting Aaron, Moses into command. Therefore, Moses is the only person that God will talk to. And God then tells everybody else. I mean, Moses then tells everybody else what God has said. God's not going to talk to Aaron. He's only talking to Moses. So Moses is the boss. Moses is the head honcho, no matter what happens. And God is accepting the fact that Moses has a language difficulty with his mouth. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, okay, Moses, you tell your brother, he will talk for you, but you're the one in charge. You're the
3: one I'm talking to. Got it. Great. Thank you, Barbara. Diane. So I have another question and that is there's all this language about the choreography of speaking to Pharaoh, a lot of verses about how this is all going to take place and very little, unless I've forgotten about talking to the, to the Israelites themselves to convince them that they actually should, should go. And it just seems really peculiar to me because I think up until this point, the talk is that Pharaoh is going to let them go as opposed to chasing them out, which comes later. Yeah. So sort of bizarre.
1: Right. And the kind of the only thing we've heard relatively recently in the story is that the Israelites were not immediately responsive. They were actually angry at Moshe for the intervening. What you said might add some ta'am, to how Rashi is going to read um, uh, verse three. So remember what Diane said. Hopefully we'll get to it today. So it'll be uh, soon enough. Uh, I see Joanna's hand.
0: Someone just referenced that, uh, that Moses is the head honcho. And I think there's something in this text that actually is meant for us to keep in mind that God is the head honcho. So there's like an even though here. Even though it's almost like a bit of a game of telephone. It's God talking to Moses, that, who will talk to Aaron, who will talk to Karo unlike the game of telephones, the message is going to remain intact and you will see this promise and that maybe helps explain this phrase that we have at the end of verse six you will see that this promise that i'm making to you even though this is going to happen through a chain of several people in the end mm-hmm. she nice. the name for so. it's
1: nice. good so that's Larry, an alternate reading of the verse An reading of, of Rashi. Very nice. Uh, Larry again. Uh, Joanna, if you speak again, there was something that was muffling your voice. We heard you, but it was very hard to hear. So I don't know if something was covering the microphone. So For next time, if you maybe can make that clearer. Go ahead, Larry.
2: The juxtaposition of Purim and, and Joanna's comment just hit me. I'm sure that this has already been commented on in many sources. It just occurred to me. Perhaps Megillat Esther was written precisely to make the opposite point. Don't rely on God. Man, Mordechai and Esther, you're in charge of your own destiny. The -hmm. stories are just too similar that that can't be an obvious uh, motivation for having written this story. Mm -hmm. Tell me that this is thousands of commentaries on exactly that.
1: There there are lovely... Uh, kind of modern articles and, and and classes I've heard that compare Moses to uh, sorry Moses to uh, Mordechai Joseph to Moses Joseph to Daniel and all of them combined and to and to find the, the the themes and the stories and the differences in the way that the Tanakh represents standing in front of a foreign king and the effectiveness of that of that shlichut. Um and I was going to say something else. That just slipped my mind about what you said um lost it if it comes back to me i'll say it uh any other comments on the table uh alan yeah. Yeah. you need a microphone oh, okay. and then joanna
7: i'm looking at the micro that i have it's the uh, uh conservative movement Mikro, do, load, well, so it doesn't go through all the J, it,
1: jps the jps yeah that's not conservative movement. it's just a publishing house okay <laughs> we happen the jps english translation happens to be the one that uh is in the Itzheim Chumash, and it may be that when the jps was founded in philadelphia the early 1910s it was associated with some of the scholarship from jts but it's just a publishing house right now
7: okay um it has a comment by Nachmanides on, on 7-2, and the only thing it says is, Rashi's comment is completely wrong.
8: <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ramban says that Ramban says that with some frequency. Um, and then usually he explains it. But he often says, you know, Rashi vizel le nachon, aloni rebbe trying to see if I can find that in the original you see that on 7-2 I don't see any ramban on 7-2 I'm looking at it right here it's
3: not in the
1: it's not in the ramban, in the, ramban. <laughs> <laughs> the ramban is not in the ramban Rabbi? I'm, not, I'm not, not agreeing with you.
7: Nachmanides, <laughs> you shall repeat, 7 oh, 2. Rashi's comment is completely wrong. Hold on a second. I couldn't make that up if I tried. <laughs>
1: hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's see if it really doesn't exist in Safaria. Safaria. I just didn't anything like that. Tanakh, Exodus, 7 2. Commentary, there's no Ramban. So JPS must have unearthed a, I don't know, a manuscript or, or conjured a ghost Ramban, because it's not in Safari, which is pretty comprehensive. It's not in the Torah Chayim, which is an academic a scholarly version of, uh, of the Mikrovok Dolot. So I believe you, because Ramban says that, but I don't see it. But I, I believe you, but I don't believe you. OK, um, Joanna, did someone put a board in the chat? Just a quick aside
0: back to that comment that you were making about um, the comparisons throughout Tanakh of stories, equity, and themes. Very funnily, a friend of mine recruited a bunch of laners to have a little friendly competition amongst ourselves for Rick and everyone else who loves this kind of thing. Phrases in Migilat Esther that are repeated elsewhere in Tanakh, not only the phrase, but to the same trope. So even though Esther has its own melody, the phrase is punctuated the same way. And fascinatingly, I wanna say the most from any section of Tanakh is from the story of Joseph, where you have phrases, word for word phrases, repeating from Joseph in Esther to the same to Amin. Yeah. So there's obviously some kind of message in
1: that. Yeah, the the, the, the Joseph, as I said to Larry, the Joseph, Magilla, and Daniel, which is a very interesting and very understudied book, right, um, there's some fascinating a narrative plot and Trump through lines, um, and kind of Moshe, Moshe in Pharaoh's court seems to be like the archetype of God's Jewish messenger in front of a foreign king, and yet the the connections seem the the, the specific narrative connections seem to be tighter when you're comparing Joseph to um, to the Purim story. Um, okay, can we go forward? Okay, let's read verse three. Uh, Tova, do you want to read verse three? Let's give Tova the mic. We only have one extra working mic. Is that why we're doing this? Yeah. Okay, Alan, you're getting your steps in.
4: Yes. Uhani akshe et le paro vi here baiti et otai the et muftai the eret smitsraim. Okay. Uh and I will uh let's see, and I will akshe I will make hard the the heart of Pharaoh, uh and I will uh increase multiply uh, my signs and wonders in the land of egypt very good beautiful
1: translation okay um we are now getting into a topic that will hover over us throughout the entire 10 plagues we'll go in and out of discussing it and that is the the particularly as we as moderns try to um kind of overlay in a fair way, onto ancient texts and modern morality, right? Part of that is unfair, as Rabbi Chorney and I taught last week, there's this notion called presentism, or presentism, where it seems it's ahistorical and unfair to take present-day morality and throw it onto previous generations, and that seems to be a movement, meaning there's a movement of presentism in our generation, and some people consider that to be a ridiculous uh, notion, but we we can't not do it at all. It's impossible for us to read the ancient text and not imagine you know, how it should be judged based on our standards. Um, we're going to be toiling with uh, the God freeing our people, allowing us to become a people, toying, it seems to be, with a, a, a Pharaoh, right? And God as the hardener of the heart and then the punisher of the hardened heart, right? That is a uh a, a moral conundrum that every significant torah commentary uh of note medieval and modern had dealt with and no one has resolved perfectly right how can the hardener of the heart be the punisher of the hardened heart i want to remind you that we have had um one reference to this notion before but in a different language go back to 421 so everyone should i don't need to pull up on the screen because if you have a book of schmot just go back to four chapter 421 This is back of the burning bush, or sort of at the end of the burning bush. By Yomer Adonai Moses, in your going back to return to Egypt." A, look, see, Kol same word as um, uh, Tova just read, all of the wonders I share Viadecha that I have placed in your hand. This word wonder does not in this verse refer to the plagues. It refers to the miracles, the tricks, that God had given to Moshe so that God could convince the people and Pharaoh that, uh, sorry, that Moshe convinced the, the people and Pharaoh that Moshe was someone to be um, dealt with seriously. Do all these things in front of Pharaoh. And what am I going to do next, God says? At libo. The root chazak and the root kashe are used somewhat interchangeably throughout the whole story of the plagues to harden or to stiffen to strengthen or to toughen right um and can try sorry there's a third one and to make to make heavy here the first use of it is i will it can't and we spent a long time on this whenever we were in this you know probably a year and a half ago it can't mean to strengthen his heart right so chazak does not only mean to strengthen but somehow to like Make, make it so strong that it's not willing to be softened. And he will not dispatch the people. So from the very beginning, God predicts that, that that God is going to have a role in what's going to happen to Pharaoh's heart. God's going to have a role in what's going to happen that's going to make Pharaoh resist Moshe's entreaty to open Pharaoh up for punishment. right? And that could be a problematic notion. Here we have akshe, we had achazek. OK, Barry. Just throw it. By the way, Joanna, in your community, you dress up for Shushan Purim also, or is that just the hat you wear to work?
0: (laughs) The day school I had off for Purim yesterday altogether, so they celebrate Shushan Purim with a carnival and whatever to have some in-school fun also.
5: I love it. Wonderful. Okay, so, Barry. Just, just as we're slowing this down, because it's so enjoyable, um, the vishalach in the previous verse. Uh, normally, we're saying "and" to uh, send uh, the Israelites out, but uh, my translation here and I kind of agree with this. But uh, no, no, that that he should send. In other words, they're they're in, in, speaking to to Pharaoh, that he should. And w- what this begins is a, a it's a dialect a, a dialectical process. That, that raises the intensity over time. So it's it, it, it the hardening of the heart is is it's it's a dialectical. Each time they speak, it's it's and he responds. It it's, it raises the intensity. Right. So the, the, that he should do this. And the that
1: flow between the end of verse two and the beginning of verse three is interesting. If you take what Barry said, right. So at the end of verse two, it seems to say particularly if you read as visual Vishelach, so that you will it is i'm going to you're going to speak to pharaoh aaron's going to it clear so that he will dispatch the israelites and what am I going to do next and then i'm going to make him so so it won't happen. Right, so it does seem to be a little bit of, of in of anticipated playing toying with a, uh, a tyrant and is that okay or is that not okay and how we feel about it being okay now. Right, would, would it be okay for one of the ways in which we deal with Russia today to to toy with Putin and punish him as opposed to just quelling the war like would that be acceptable in international diplomacy or would that be cruel Lo- Oh, a lot of hands okay Larry Diane Ilan. Hector there's no way to get that second microphone working today huh okay. Okay all good.
2: I promise I'm going to try to be brief. First, to answer your question, no, it's not the same thing at all. The whole point here is, why is God hardening Pharaoh's heart? It's so that he can multiply the signs. It's not to punish Pharaoh uh-huh. at, at all. And this is a bit... That in the verse? Yeah, the Pashatna in the verse is very clear. It's that that God is going to change Pharaoh's mind or do something to Pharaoh to... to God's going to be the instrument. Pharaoh has no free will. And Pharaoh has no free will. Why? So that I can do my job of amazing you all and the Egyptians and everybody. That's the purpose. This is the introduction to, or one of the introductions to, a real theological question, which is, who is responsible here? Do we have free will? And if, in fact, God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, then Pharaoh is not the evildoer. But we know that's not the case. Right, so the question is it goes back to what i was saying earlier about the the the, the connection between this story and the Purim story and who it is Haman was responsible for his evil unequivocally we never said it was he was caused to do that by God but here there's this question and i think that this is here because we struggle with the issue when we pray to God to cause change are we really saying okay we're not responsible and we're also not capable and if that's the case if you really believe that then evildoers are not responsible for their actions either I think the whole and I'll I'll end here the question is an ongoing one and it's an unanswerable one as to who it is that's responsible
1: for good actions evil actions etc You've said a lot there. Um, I want to respond briefly to some of it and then go around the table. Um, you're sort of describing that we're, we're heading into a more, uh, like a, an Escher painting of morality, where depending on what floor you're on, either the last thing that happened was that Pharaoh was being tyrannical, or the last thing that happened was that God was doing something to make Pharaoh more, more likely to be tyrannical, right? Um, what I don't know, and this is also unanswerable, is if biblical understandings of morality, which is a thousand plus years before the rabbinic mind was developed, had any conception of whether or not there was anything off or, or inapt about treating Pharaoh as a, uh, as a toy here, right? because you're saying that maybe the text is there in order to raise those questions in our minds, and I just don't know if a biblical conception of of, of an evil tyrant was such that uh, it was supposed to awaken any kind of compassion, understanding, identity with Pharaoh in this situation, or it was just this person is evil and deserves to be crushed and deserves to be toyed with on the way to being crushed. I don't know. I know that the rabbis deal with it. I have no idea what what Schmote meant by it. Could not it, re- it just be an, a, a,
2: a rejection of dualism in the text here? In other words, there is no evil out there. God is resp- There's only one God. And since I forget the other term for dualism, where you have the positive, the good force and the evil force. Right. God is the only force out there. Right. So everything bad is also attributable to God. Right. And that's a pretty
1: early, early idea. So rabbinic Judaism definitely enjoins us to kashim even, you know, just as we bless God for when good things happen, we have to bless God when bad things happen, right? The, the most awful and the most evocative bracha there is, is Baruch Dayan had when you rip your clothes, and when I, I may have said a version of this in some of your presences as we've been at a, at a funeral, that we're supposed to invoke God at the moment of loss because we're not, we don't have a convenient theology that says that God is just there in the in the good moments, but God is there in the bad moments. But the Torah does want us to understand that when it says, you know, in parashat Re'eh that you have, there's bracha uklala in front of you, choose which one is yours. The Torah does want us to have agency in our choosing a path of goodness. Um, and if we have agency in choosing the path of goodness, you would think that, Evil people should be considered to have agency in having chosen the path of non-goodness. And if you take a modern understanding of, of determinism, right, sometimes I do wonder, and I'm not suggesting that we should close all the prisons and let everyone out, but I do wonder how much control any one of us really has over a significant amount of what we do. Right? How much of it are things set in motion on a cellular level? On a, on a on an atomic level and how hard it is to change one's behavior against one's urges right and and i wonder if the if, if the torah kind of knew of that in the human condition we didn't know how to say it and and it's it's way of saying that there's no other way for a human to act but this way of saying god did it right? that's just the way god created humanity right i have rachmanis I have true rahmanas for people who are um, are burdened down with 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 urges that they didn 't ask for they didn 't invite and 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 there and push them to act in a way that society doesn 't accept and which hurt people all right and people are victims, but I have rahmanas for them because no one chose that right and if they' if, if they 're acting in that way there there 's got to be something that is so powerful right this is sounds like a strange um um, tangent to go down, but I'll share it because it's been in my mind recently. Um, our rabbinic intern from a couple of years ago, uh, who's about to be Rabbi Josh Jacobs, was just hired as the associate rabbi of a synagogue in Cleveland, uh, Mazel Tov to Josh. And his, his wife was also a rabbi. They're both going to be working at the same synagogue. Um, why is a position open there in that synagogue? because the former associate rabbi is now the senior rabbi. So there's a need for an associate rabbi. And why is the former associate rabbi the senior rabbi? Because the senior rabbi last summer, I believe, was caught in a sting. Um, uh, The sting was set up so that there was actually no potential victim, but the rabbi thought he was um, um, soliciting uh, sexual acts with a a minor. Um, Before that moment, this was an upstanding long tenured known to be good moral uh rabbinic leader uh, it, it was it was an immediate fall from grace There would it did not seem to be any indication right um i i i can't imagine the shame that person felt uh in the moment you know the headlines and all of our all the colleagueship uh went out understandably to um to put the scarlet letter on this rabbi was eliminated from the rabbinical assembly very quickly um and care for any potential victims had there been victims right in the sting there was no victim and were were there actually any victims in the in the community that we didn't know of turns out there probably were not at least not in the community what i did i'd I'd met this rabbi once and i'm not trying to pat myself on the back here i'm just suggesting how i understand the complexity of the human condition i emailed this person to let this person know That I couldn't imagine the darkness this person was confronting and I wanted him to know that there was at least one person out there was a colleague of his who cared for him because. My immediate concern was not only were there any victims, but was this person going to take his own life, because I can't I I can't imagine living one day after this comes out and he and I were in email contact with each other for a little bit. This whatever urges this person has he didn't choose it Um, and probably wishes for all that he could afford that it didn't exist in his mind right and uh we're living in an era where it it is now the case and it's a good thing that previously illicit and shunned sexual urges are now considered normative and and celebrated in in society and in jewish society and we most progressive applaud that but some sexual urges are not they're still considered absolutely um, inappropriate and illicit in society and that's probably a good thing but if you really think back how, it, how a human being is, is created, wh- why does it have to be? I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but, but if, if my sexual urges are over here and society is now allowing me to celebrate them and live that way, but my sexual urges are over here and society is suggesting that that can never be made okay, I didn't choose that. I have for that person. I, I have rahmanas for any victims, but I'm because God created this person with a brain and a mind that is both able to be a rabbinic leader and an order and a teacher and has private sexual urges that has no acceptable expression in our society. That must be a curse. So did God do that? That's just the way human beings are? Is, 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 was Pharaoh of the Torah tyrannical because he chose to be tyrannical? Or is that just the path that the Pharaoh was on since the moment he was created? And these are really tough questions. And I think the Bible and, and rabbinic society and our society are all trying to grapple with it in different ways. And as you said, the most important thing I think you said was that it's unresolvable. But it's going to be really interesting to battle through it. Okay. Sermon over. Diane, Ilan, Toba, Alan, Rosemary, and then, and, then, and then class will be over. You left
3: off Barry. So, and Barry and Rick. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of other instances in Tanakh where God directly intervenes in an individual person to change their action. And the only one that I can think of is Bilam. Um and it's quite the opposite of this, right? Mm-hmm. Bilam wants to it has every incentive to curse the Jews and mm-hmm. God makes him bless the Jews and this seems like kind of perversely the opposite i'm just wondering are there any other instances
1: first of all i've never thought of that association That's fascinating right god, god intervening towards the good to push the push the dial towards the good rather than towards the bad um, you asked me are there other moments in 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 tanakh i i, I don't have the the, the the um the in all of tanakh to answer that with any confidence but in torah where god is Avimelos intentionally intervening to change someone's behavior.
3: An individual.
6: <laughs> Avimelos with Abraham, with uh, taking Sarah. Uh huh. In the evening, he has a dream, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I and mean, it depends on what you mean by change behavior, right? Because, like, someone I heard someone say Noah, right? God is not intervening to change something inside noah's mind but he is intervening to tell noah to do something differently than he would have done but you're asking something different it's yeah. ch- changed the mindset yeah avi melech is an interesting example i gotta think about it more what's that stevie Levon tell say more with a microphone
8: uh, similar to avi melech is another dream right before Levon catches up with mm-hmm. yakov and his family and, and he's like hey and then they have the showdown and he says i would have yeah, attacked yeah. you except that god came to me last night and said not to touch you
1: yeah yeah but it's an interesting thing to think about but, but I'm, I'm most taken by the contrast of the direction in which god is pushing the dial here versus yeah. there
8: but, but the two examples that you gave were both that someone's actually trying to act and it works out differently as yeah. opposed to being convinced of something or threatened by something yeah
4: jeez tova uh this is responding to a couple of things uh one of them on Pharaoh I had always leaned towards the the notion that that fundamentally Pharaoh's character but also his definition within the context of Egyptian society would give him this sense of himself uh, as a Demi Demi Divine Mm. um and therefore what God is doing is keeping him consistent to that because we waver. In fact, at the end, we see Pharaoh does let them go, but then changes his mind. Mm. So what God is doing is not so much changing the true direction, but keeping him who he is. So that is one thing. Uh, um, Larry commented about that. He's doing it because he wants to multiply signs and wonders. And Diana commented on when did they speak to the children of Israel? And that struck me as that's really the purpose there, that there's not just the Pharaoh who's being persuaded and addressed, but the, the children of Israel are being yes. addressed. The people of Egypt are being addressed. Yes. And you see the consequences of that at the end with the behavior of the people of Egypt and of course B'nai Israel. <laughs> Now for us, it doesn't last very long. We should, but so that second part is a really important part of the message.
1: Great. And um, we probably will not get to the Rashi, but what you, what you just said uh, connects to something that Barry said before. If we understand some of the VOVs connecting phrases to be so that, right? If you go back to verse two, uh, verse two, right? You're going to speak to everything that I say, and Aaron will speak to Pharaoh, so that he will dispatch the Israelites. If you add, if you understand the vav in our verse to mean the same thing, it's, I will harden his heart, so that I have pretense in order to do these dastardly things to him. And Rashi is going to say that a little more explicitly. Now, it's not the only way to read it. It's, it, you can also just read it as a flow of what's going to happen next, right? That, that that's going to happen next, not necessarily that I'm doing A in order to do B, but you can read it that way because that's why it's sometimes
8: implied. And above, Stevie sneaking in before Elon. Just it, if we're going to go that direction, the right the verses continue. The ultimate, like the the end of this passage of of God's uh, uh, conception here is right. The the ultimate sort of goal, perhaps, if that's how we're reading it is that when right in in verse five right when uh i take the people out it'll be from a place where i'm already known Mm. right as sort of as opposed to like i'm going to take them out and then i'll teach them about me it's like they have like it has to be and it can't just be that they know about me it has to be that the place they come from i'm already known there which Mm. is i don't know we'll talk about it in two weeks when we get there (laughs) elon
9: uh so to go back to the original um point about hardening of the heart uh my thoughts also apply coincidentally to the the rabbi in cleveland which is um it it reminds me of of modern day entrapment in the legal world where um a law enforcement person would argue and, and I believe correctly, but it's not necessary. it's that neither here nor there that a person can, can only be entrapped if they are predisposed to do that crime anyway yeah. right and that somebody who was not predisposed to do that crime would not be entrapped this case with Pharaoh is is exactly that that yes adonai hardened pharaoh's heart having said that if pharaoh was not predisposed to have his heart hardened it would not have happened and that kind of answers the issue about um free will right that that pharaoh actually did have the free will because he could have when adonai hardened his heart he could have said actually no that's not who i am but it was who he
1: was it's a fascinating point one day i'd like to you know Nurse a beer with you for two hours and discuss it because it's really a, an important and complex thing to think through. On the one hand, I'm moved by the notion that the, the, the predisposition is itself pre-criminal, and therefore, if the predisposition leads to the crime, it's because the person, you know, was was liable to do that anyway. It's a little bit a little How minority report.
9: That there are people who have that pre- I'm sorry if there are people who have that predisposition there are many people who have fantasies of various thoughts and we know that right and yet they're able to say actually yes that's a fantasy I actually might like to do that but actually I I know that I have self-control and will opt not to do that because I understand that my predisposition is wrong
1: and the counter argument and I'm somewhere in between is sometimes the ease with which something wrong is able to be done influences whether or not the person is able to control the urge and do it or not do it that's true by the way even in, in taking one's life right there are one amazing studies about that the, the, that there are plenty of people who have suicidal ideations and urges and sometimes the difference between someone doing it and doing it successfully or not is not how depressed they are but just how easy it is to accomplish right and so you know i, I definitely think that there are human urges that have that have lurked in our dna for tens of thousands of years that have been awakened and are burst through the surface in lots of the population because of the era of the internet, because people can do things now more privately, or it seems more privately in the moment. And the epidermis that is is holding in our base animal urges is thinner now because there are more opportunities to explore that, right? Now, does it mean that the person is less liable? No, but I think it does mean that the circumstances have allowed some of those uh base urges to break through where they might not have in 16th century france because they, they they couldn't go online and find the person they were looking for right it's really complicated and complicated morally and legally uh alan yes. barry rick class oh and rosemary, rosemary. rosemary. yeah i owe you five extra minutes because last week was five minutes uh ended I, early I, go ahead Hi. my
7: my understanding of the hardening of the heart that i had heard from other rabbis was that the first five plagues it was like you know uh uh Pharaoh's heart was was hardened it was you know in the passive and it's only in the
1: second as opposed to by Adonai Lev Paro right and there's then a, uh, sorry to interrupt there's a wonderful comment about that by Harold Kushner by Harold Kushner in the in one of the moments in the Tanakh uh, in the Eitz Chaim Chumash, where it mentions that he, Rabbi Kushner is the editor of the Drash commentary there, and he makes the point you're about to make, but I'm sure you'll make it better. <laughs> <You know. laughs>
4: all right,
6: you're all.
7: <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, <laughs> no pressure. Um, about that. The first five, it, it, it was passive. And then after that, the second five, God hardens hard, he says, but he's only reinforcing what was already there based on the decision. He was so connected with that with those fiends there was no way he was going to be able to
1: change because he was locked into that view it's 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 the notion of habituation right That once you do five evil things in a row you are inured inured to how evil it is therefore the sixth time you do it if it when we say that god is doing it for you it's it's a way of saying god has created the human condition that if you have chosen the evil path five times in a row now you're going to be very it's very hard to to pull away from that
7: And yet here we're reading from the get-go in in chapter 4 and here now that before the plagues are even starting, it says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, is what God is saying. How that just completely, that seems to completely undermine the whole theory of the habituation being it. So this is going to be from the get-go. And maybe you can try and say, well, he's doing it in order that God wants to make his name known to the people but is this the way to make your name known to the people by causing such destruction and havoc in the land of
5: egypt
1: yeah barry rosemary rick and we'll we'll get to the rashi next week
5: just a, a, a comment first um your note of nursing a beer for two hours uh, i i can't envision that is that <laughs> it taking that long? That'd have to be two two beers. Oh, least. I would have had a second round, for sure.
6: <laughs>
5: so, uh, be- beginning with the, the, the Kabbalistic and Zohar envision of the God as no-thingness, and the angels telling God, don't give the Torah to the people. Um, this, this no-thingness needs the dialectic with human, through which further creation happens, and it's this dialectic intensity that we're going to see happen it is what God knows this is going to be, and and God needs that, and all the suffering we're describing of people's lives happen. It it it, it God needs this because God's is a no thingness so th- this is the beginning of the process here great Rosemary
10: um I would say for two things first of all hardening the heart I think we were in a uh, in a situation that people didn't know God so it was him introducing himself so uh, there were gods there were, were laws but it was more Human laws, because the gods were humans in that time. So if he hardens the heart, it's a question that I had the same as Larry where is my free choice? Mm. The Pharaoh can say. But if God chooses, Pharaoh has probably accepted, and probably because of that, right now, Moses and Pharaoh are walking in the paradise. He's not in hell because he has followed God, um, uh, Pharaoh, in his way. But if we take it on a personal level, um, what I have gone through, I have questioned this uh, question many times. Uh, We went to synagogue to pray. Okay, it was Shabbat. We took car. Maybe that's not good for people who respect Shabbat. But if we didn't take car, we couldn't go to synagogue. So our sin was taking the car. But the person who hit us, he was drunk driver. And he had the choice, he could have not drunk, and the street was completely empty, we were in Olympic Boulevard, four lanes, four lanes, nobody was there, we were going home five minutes before home, he came, we never sued him, because I don't, we don't believe in suing, but he told the police that he was bored, he went to drink, so my question was, what is that his choice, he's bored? He could have done many things. So if um, somebody is doing the free choice, using like that, he is responsible because we have 10 commandments, even if he's not Jewish, but he knows what's good, what's bad. Maybe in that time, there were slaves, there were eating slaves. Nobody knew what is good, what is bad, the way that we know. So when we are conscious of good and bad, whatever we do, we are responsible. And that's why I cre- created the music festival so the young people will go play music instead of um, drinking when they are bored. Mm-hmm. But in the case you were saying, I believe he was a uh, educated person. Mm-hmm. If he has urges, there is castration. You go, you just get rid of your urges. So that, there's choice. And I always told my children, you make choices, you go consequences. So he made his choice to live with that and use it one day, but he could have stopped it. So I believe in Pharaoh's time, it's okay if God did like, uh, you know, he put the words in Pharaoh's mouth, in Moses' mouth, because he was going to introduce 10 commandments and Torah. But now we don't have choice. We have the choice ourselves because we are choosing.
1: There's, there's almost nothing to say in response to that rosemary because um, in the face of the of the trauma that you're remembering, um, words fail. The only thing I want to say, which I've said to you many times on record, is that in my understanding of of the world of good and evil and religious expectations there's there's no sin for which the proper, quote unquote, punishment would be the horror that you experienced. And your decision to be in shul that night was a decision towards life and community and is only to be celebrated. And the trauma that you experienced and still experience, the tragedy uh, to me is utterly disconnected from the choice of how you got there, um, and I just want you to know that I want you to know that again. Thank
10: you. Well, I just wanted to say that um, I went to the question many times, saying um, it was if we believe in God, death and life is in God's hand. So my daughter had to die that night, that place, that hour, and the person who executed was a drunk driver. So he was, in a way. An agent of God to do the work or angel of death to do the work, so I even respected him I never kept any bad feeling against him, my wish was he would get better, he would not drink and teach others, but unfortunately he didn't, and um, so the story is amazing but still I respect the thing it happened because it's God's wish.
1: Rick I'll give you an opportunity to. To share over that if you'd like your hand was up for a while.
6: I I I can wait. I, um, I I'm certainly not going to respond to that. I was just going to add some things about the hardening of the heart. But um, uh, you want to hear it? Okay. If you want so
1: quickly or start with good next week. Your choice
6: I could do next week. Okay, don't forget, don't forget it. Sure.
4: Last word. Add something in general throw this into the conversation. That the we do know something about concepts of morality in Egypt at that time. Even going back to Middle Kingdom, which is earlier than this period, there was something that were called the confessions that were part of the burial of any well-off Egyptian and certainly pharaohs as well. And in the confessions were things like, "I have fed the I have fed the hungry. I have clothed the poor. I have cared for the needy. I have." cared or helped the children of the, the orphans that kind of statement and those were being made as a move towards having their soul when it was weighed against the feather of truth not be condemned and not hmm. be destroyed so there are m- more uh, I mean what we would recognize as serious morality and concepts of obligation to other human beings that are part of that society
1: That's a proper note to end on. Rick, remind me that you'll start your comment next week and we'll get to the Rashi, which we've been now anticipating for quite some time.
0: You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to T B A L A dot org